Hello, hello. Welcome to the Work, Wealth, and Travel podcast. I'm your host, Nicole, aka Nomad Neeks, and this podcast is the place to be if you are looking to create a lifestyle that you absolutely love. We talk all things digital nomad, entrepreneurship, working online, traveling and full-time travel, and of course, making money on the road. So in today's episode, I want to dive right in. I have been getting quite a few questions asking about what it's like to be a digital nomad, how to get started being a digital nomad is a pretty big one, Um, and then everything in between. So finances, business, getting clients, geo-arbitrage, cost of living, um, all of the things. So I've compiled a pretty comprehensive list of some of these questions. So if you are wanting to pick my brain, you can, of course, book a call with me. That is on my link in bio in my Instagram. But if you really want the tea and you want to hear from me completely unfiltered some of the questions that I have received as of late, then this is the episode for you. I'm going to be sharing everything I have learned I have been out of my home country traveling for six years. I was an expat for four and about two, two and a half. I have been nomadic full-time living out of a suitcase. So we're going to chat about all of these questions that I receive. Many times I've received the same questions over. So I'm going to be going over all of these questions today. So the first question that people usually have is how the heck do you make money? And of course, money makes the world go round. So this is a very good question. Now, I, and you know, everyone has a different risk tolerance. I will say that I would recommend not fully becoming nomadic unless you have a good savings or you have some sort of income. It does not need to be a huge amount of income. I will say there are countries like Colombia, for example, which as the time of recording actually has the least inexpensive digital nomad visa. You have to make an income of 600 US dollars per month to apply for their digital nomad visa, which is pretty wild and pretty low. So there are countries, and this is a perfect illustration, you can live in Colombia for $600. You absolutely can. I was there a few months ago And if you are not paying an Airbnb, especially, and if you are getting the rent from a local, you're signing a longer term lease, you can get an amazing rate. Of course, it depends on the area, but you can get a pretty great rate and you can live off $600 per month for sure. We'll probably want a little bit more than that, but just saying that really where you are influences the amount of money that you're going to need. So the two ways that you can really make an income as a digital nomad or living some sort of traveling lifestyle is remote work, which is working for a company online or doing something of your own, whether it be entrepreneurship or working on building one business or multiple businesses sometimes, as many of us are multi-passionate and doing that to bring in an income. Now, There are caveats with both of these. With remote work, it does on average take about six to 12 months to get a completely remote job. And still sometimes these jobs are specific to time zones. I feel like that is becoming increasingly more prevalent. Countries want you to either be in their time zone or 
be in a pretty similar time zone. So it means that you cannot travel halfway around the world, but maybe you can travel to a different country and just go north or south. So that is something to consider and it should usually happen in the job posting. However, it does not always. Sometimes, unfortunately, remote jobs will even say they're remote and they basically are not. So it is good to follow up with your interviewer and be sure to be on the same page about what the work schedule looks like before progressing throughout that interview process any further. Now, the other form of work, which I personally am much more knowledgeable in, is creating something for your own. And for about the last three, three and a half years, I have dipped my toe into entrepreneurship. And I honestly do not think I could work for anybody at this point. I do have some freelance clients. However, that is freelance. And going back to a job, even if it's remote and having a boss that I have to report to and just all of the office things, I don't think I could do that again, quite honestly. But that's just me. And I've been doing this for quite a few years. So I am very used to kind of running the show. I know how I want things. I know how to get them done. But if that doesn't sound like you, then remote work could be a very good option. And there's no right or wrong here. It's really just what do you want your future to look like? Do you want to build something on your own or do you want to find a steady remote job and have that paycheck? No right answer. So for me personally, I do have a business. I've built out a digital marketing agency and I also have this podcast and I create content for brands among other things. It's good if possible to have, and this comes with time as well, but to really build up different sources of income. You never know, especially with inflation, when any of those sources of income may run low or dry up. So that is something that definitely takes time. That's not an overnight thing by any means, but it is very much so worthwhile. If you hear any honking, I'm beside a window and we are on a pretty main road here. We're in Buenos Aires right now. So apologies for that part of the nomad life. All right. So Do I have trouble getting clients? Now, this is a great question and I think probably a question on everyone's mind when they're starting out. And my answer is no, because I honestly don't actively search for clients. Now I do for pitching to brands and that is really a science in and of its own, which is a whole nother episode. But when it comes to finding digital marketing clients, I do not actually have to go out and find them anymore, which is amazing. I have retainer clients that for the most part, I work with month after month and there is set deliverables and those deliverables are filled every month and it is retainer. So they pay me and I do the work each month and it's very nice because it is a stable source of income. However, This again is not for every nomad and you're going to hear this a lot. What I say and what I want to do may look very different for you. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm just giving you what I do and then other options. I know some nomads want to not work retainer specifically. I like it because it is peace of mind. It's pretty steady income. You can also work on a project basis for clients. And what that means is that you do not work. They do not pay you essentially every single month, but they will pay you to do one project. So 
Maybe that is too easy example. I'm looking at my ClickUp right now. All my notes are in ClickUp and that's the project management tool I use. So there are businesses that do complete ClickUp setups. There is a lot to this program and really any software program, Dubsado, HoneyBook, there are businesses and freelancers out there who will do a complete setup. So for an example of what a per project basis client would look like is if I am an expert in ClickUp, somebody comes to me and say, hey, I need a ClickUp build. It may take me a month or two. We will sign the contract, get the invoicing done. I will build the ClickUp, hand it off to them, and then the project is done. So it's not a recurring basis. It's a project basis. And some nomads like this because they want the flexibility to say, okay, in two months, I'm going to take the month off. I'm going to book no clients. All of my projects are going to be finished then. And I'm going to relax for a week or a month. Or maybe you're going to go somewhere without Wi-Fi if you want to go to a retreat or you want to go hiking in the Amazon in Brazil or whatever that looks like. Perhaps you want that flexibility. And that's totally fair as a nomad. For myself, working with retainer clients, it's very difficult for me to be without Wi-Fi for 12 hours. I will say that. I mean, of course, I have my podcast and I have emails that I have to get to and creating content. So there's a lot around that as well. However, I have built it so that I really cannot be without Wi-Fi for extended periods of time. And I know that. That's okay. If I wanted to change in the future, I might have to get rid of some retainer clients. And I know that that is a possibility. That's the way I've built my business. And I think it's very important to start building your business with not the end in mind, but the future in mind. I really would say, because I made this mistake quite honestly, and so I have learned many things throughout this entrepreneurial and nomadic journey, but a big takeaway in my entrepreneurial journey is to think years into the future. So when anybody asks me, I always recommend to think three to five years into the future of what you want your business to look like. And if you want to take a month off and go hiking a mountain, then Start now and don't take retainer clients. Build a business, build a service, whatever it may be. Build an offering or perhaps e-com, whatever. There's so many ways to make money online. Build something so that you know what the nomadic journey is going to look like for you and you can reverse engineer it so that you do not have retainer clients because that's not how you want your business to grow. And I know it can be very easy, I will say, to take whatever comes at you because you just want the money and you want to be nomadic. So I totally understand that, but that will not be sustainable for you in the future and that will lead to burnout. I, at one point, was running my business and had never experienced burnout and I was thinking this is fine and dandy and I loved it. And then I started to get burnt out and basically everything I was doing, I did not like. I did not find joy in anything I was doing. And I really had to take a step back and reassess what I was doing and also put some time management skills to use. I really had to figure out what time I was giving clients and what time I was giving myself to do my own business and personal projects and what time I was giving myself to literally do nothing and relax or not do nothing, but do whatever I wanted to do that wasn't business per se, because that is a great way to get burnt out. So have boundaries, those boundaries and time management. 
you can not have boundaries, but then it will catch up to you at some point. It took me a few years, but it did catch up to me. All right. So on the topic of this, I do want to mention something that is very important. And a lot of people come to me and I mean, I totally understand it. This is how I started too. So they come to me and they say, I want to be a VA because a VA means I can work for somebody else and maybe, yes, have those retainer clients or have the project clients and make money and be anywhere. And usually your employer or whoever you're working for as a VA doesn't really care if you, where you are in the world. They just want the work to get done. Fair enough. So what I would say again is really think with the end in mind or with three to five years in mind. And in my opinion, and in many people's opinions, VA sounds great or EA, whatever you want to call yourself. But unless you are truly, truly passionate about it, building it is not going to be sustainable. And increasingly, VAs are kind of catch-all jobs. You can niche down as a VA, and then that kind of becomes less of a VA. So for example, you could be a tech VA. So that becomes less of a VA and more of a tech expert or a tech integrations expert. Or if you really love podcasting, maybe you become a podcast editor from a VA. So you really stop being a VA and become something and focus in a specific area as that VA. And you're really no longer a VA. A VA is very catch-all. A VA these days kind of requires you to do anything and everything. And unfortunately, it's usually a pretty low cost. I know it doesn't make sense. It really should be the other way around where you're doing anything and everything, but you're not really an expert in one thing also, unfortunately. And because you're not an expert and you're a lot of the time learning as you go, you are not making a consistent and scalable paycheck from your clients at the end of the month. And sometimes your clients will just give you the crap work that they don't want to do. And if you want to do that, then that's great. But I don't think many of us do. There's also admin VAs. There's so many different types of VAs, but really figure out what your zone of genius is and hone in on that. And like I said, it can be difficult to take clients that are outside of that scope, but then you are just going to kind of become that general VA. And that can very quickly lead to burnout. So another reason I would say to really focus on not becoming a VA is because you want to build a business for yourself. For example, if you're thinking about how you're going to get inbound clients, well, usually that comes from social, sometimes referrals, which is great, but not very sustainable. You want to have a website. You want to have socials. You want to have something when people go to your Instagram that you can talk about and you can go, hey, look at what you can do in ClickUp. Did you know this? Here's a shortcut on how you can do this. You want to be the expert in, it doesn't need to be ClickUp, but it does need to be something, whether it's a platform or whether it is tech overall or podcasting overall, you know, all things podcasting. Well, that's great. Or it can be a platform like ClickUp. Um, So really choosing between those two, because that's how you are going to be seen as an expert in your field. And that's how you can truly build a business and build something out for yourself, build a team and get clients. Usually, like I said, it's from that social media and even Facebook groups, but they are going to want to see your social media and your website before they hire you. And if you just kind of say you can do it all and you have some examples of a million different things, I mean, some people may want that, 
But are you truly going to be doing everything to the best of your ability if you do anything and everything? So just a few things to think about when it comes to building a business, working remote, what that could potentially look like for you. Okay, so let's go to cost of living. Now, cost of living really varies and I can't just say one number because it depends on the country. It also depends on the city within that country, whether it's the capital, whether it's a really popular beach town. There's so many factors that go into this. But what I like to do is utilize geo arbitrage. If you have listened to this podcast or if you follow me on Instagram, you probably know what geo arbitrage is. So geo arbitrage essentially means that you are earning income in a stable, high currency, and you are spending that money not in a country that is expensive, that has that good currency. Maybe you're spending it somewhere like Colombia or Indonesia or Thailand or South Africa, somewhere where your money is going to go a little bit further. And I do have people say to me sometimes, well, I'm from Colombia, for example. I don't know why I'm using Colombia so much, Um, but as an example, you know, and I was there a few months ago, the salaries are quite low. So what I would say is, yes, there are some challenges if you would like to be nomadic from one of those countries. However, I strongly believe because I know digital nomads who are Colombian, born in Colombia, and I think she's in Thailand right now, scuba diving, traveling the world, like it's amazing. And so I truly believe that you can, doesn't matter where you're from, you can live a nomadic lifestyle, but there are a few things you need to have. And being from a specific country is not one of those things. doesn't matter where you're from, but you do need to speak a language where you know you can make money. So English is a pretty big one. You can almost always find clients of some type of field or niche in English, but Spanish is also another big one. And of course, you have to think, are most Spanish speakers going to be paying the equivalent to what most English speakers are paying? Well, that's something for you to consider. If you're really targeting business owners in Spain, perhaps because they live and deal in euros, if you're targeting Paraguay where they speak Spanish, well, their clients might not pay as much there. So really speaking a language where you know that people need your services and can pay your prices in that language. A good example, my partner speaks Chinese fluently. If you can speak Chinese, you can do business with Chinese anywhere in the world. They want translation. They want classes in so many different languages. They want you to become a part of their e-commerce brand. Like there's so much you can do if you speak Mandarin or potentially Cantonese as well. So, you know, there are other dominant languages, but if you speak Cambodian, while the market, not impossible, but the market may be a little bit more difficult for you to find a Cambodian company or client that wants you to only speak Cambodian and is willing to pay you a good living wage. So that's something to think about. And that is something I have thought a lot about as well, I will say. And I really do think it is, oh my gosh, this horn. Do you hear that? That's wild. It's been like a solid 10 seconds and it's still going. Okay, it's over. Oh my gosh. That was like a 10 second horn. Somebody outside is mad. Okay. Um, Yeah. So really, I truly do believe it doesn't matter where you're coming from, but it does matter the skills you have and the things you know and the experiences 
and how you sell yourself as well. Sales is kind of the biggest thing that you need to know. I have an episode with Olivia talking all about that. She is a powerhouse. However, we are staying on the topic of cost of living. So cost of living, like I said, really does depend on the country that you are in. Now, you can use geo-arbitrage, and I will say on this, now I can't give you a price. I can kind of give you general estimates of what we have paid in places. However, if you are from a Western country and you want to become nomadic, you can go to almost any country in the world, almost, not including Western countries, basically every other country you can go to and your cost of life will be much cheaper. If you go to a Western country, if you go to Korea, Japan, Dubai, there's a few more, maybe South Africa, but I think you can geo-arbitrage for sure. And so there's a big community of nomads in South Africa. So maybe not that one, but there are almost every single country where your cost of living will be lower. So just think about that. If you think that you want to leave your home country because cost of living and inflation is just getting so out of control and so wild, you can go to almost any other country in the world and have an amazing quality of life if you have a similar salary or if you work with Western clients or if you get paid in a great currency that converts well in other countries. These are all options for you. You are not limited to staying in a country where the cost of living is high and because this would have been me in Canada and you feel like you can't buy a home because homes are over a million and you know that you'll just work your whole life away to essentially pay for this mortgage of a home that you don't even want. Well, maybe you want it, but I know that I would not have wanted it. And the car payment and the 2.5 kids, you know, I talk about that a lot, but that is just how I feel. So if you feel like you feel stuck in your country and you're not really advancing, whether it be career-wise or monetarily or asset-wise in those specific assets like a home, then might be a good idea to think about some other possibilities because your home country is not the only country out there and you can have amazing experiences, amazing quality of life. And sometimes even I would definitely argue a better quality of life. Like, I'm very happy not having to deal with the cold for eight months out of the year and wearing my coat and boots and much better quality of life in almost every other area. Of course, nothing's perfect. We'll get into that. But yeah, something to think about. Okay. Cost of living on general, in general, I would say now if you book on Airbnb, I like Airbnb. It has gotten pricey. I will say in the last year, I have noticed prices in most places have gone up. However, it's nice because you do have the insurance of if something goes wrong. We've had multiple Airbnbs, not everyone by any means, but we have had multiple Airbnbs where something happens. Maybe the Wi-Fi goes out. We had one where there was in Colombia where the electricity in the whole neighborhood was out like three times a week. So we didn't have aircon. It was so hot. We didn't have internet. We basically just sat there in the dark. And it was nighttime with our phone lights and twiddled our thumbs. So that was not so fun. And that place, it would have been okay, maybe, but that place was not as advertised on Airbnb. So it is nice to have the insurance that you can message Airbnb and they will talk to the host. They will talk to you. 
they will figure out kind of if you're telling the truth, if the host has a different side to the story. They have a resolutions team, but I think we've done it two or three times in two years. So that's not bad, honestly. And we have always gotten out of that situation. They've sided with us because we have valid arguments and concerns as to why it isn't really a fair place to be living. And, you know, we're usually paying them pretty good money to be there. So I will say on average budget, anywhere from 600 lowest to 1200 USD per month. And I know that's a pretty big range. And I would say that's just for like a normal one bedroom. We have got that price for a studio and we have got that price for a two slash three bedroom. We got that one on Facebook Marketplace um, and that was in more of the countryside, but that was a beautiful place. So there are other options. Facebook Marketplace is a great one, but you don't have that protection. Make sure you don't get scammed. And yeah, there's kind of a lot of things that go into it, but really what you have to do is just start the nomadic life, dip your feet into it, and you will learn through experience. Um, Where else do I book my hotels? Usually we'll do Airbnb, sometimes hotels.com. They have a pretty good rewards deal. They have, if you book 10 nights, you get one night for free, like a certain dollar amount. So that is not too shabby. And I think for the most part, those are most of the places where we book our stays. I will caution, I know I've done an episode about this, but I will caution, do not use VRBO. I have booked from there twice. Both times, the guest just never answered. I contacted them, VRBO, the customer service. They said, wait until check-in. Check-in, the guest still didn't answer both times. And so we were essentially homeless in Montenegro last summer for like five days. And every single day, they would get us to call back, give us a very small credit for Montenegro in the summer is not cheap. They gave us a small credit to find one or two nights. And then after the one or two nights in that place was done, we would have to call them back and go through it all again. And I was waiting like four hours on hold one day and got hung up on and like, oh my gosh, it is crazy. I've never had a good experience with that platform and the customer service is not great. So I will say that um, they are kind of similar to Airbnb, but I will not take that risk anymore because I have lost money due to kind of their policies and not refunding me in full. So I will not make that mistake again. All right, so another question I get is, what type of nomad can I be? And there are many different types of nomads. So there are nomads like myself, more suitcase life, where my partner and I don't have anything in our home countries, but that's also because we came from China. So we have not lived in our home countries for many, many years. So I think this decision to live a suitcase life was a little bit easier for us because we came from China where of course we don't have all of the things that we've ever owned in China. So it was very easy to downsize, get rid of almost everything and put it into a suitcase. But I know that not everybody wants to do that. Not everybody wants to sell everything they have or get rid of everything they have. So you can put it in storage. If you do not feel too much attachment like and you want to live a minimalist life and live out of a suitcase, do it. I love it. I love having everything I could need 
in my suitcase and there are pros and cons. I will get to the cons in a few minutes, but there are so many pros and I really just love it. And it keeps me from spending money, quite honestly. Now, I did have to kind of figure out a wardrobe being a woman. My partner doesn't have this problem quite so much. I had to figure out a wardrobe and what that could look like. So it's a very capsule wardrobe, but it does limit my spending, which is a big bonus. However, there are many types of nomad that you can be. There's RV life where you really have that van life. You live out of a van. There is also pet sitting, house sitting, where you don't pay for rent, which is amazing. I do have a past episode with a few house sitters if you want to scroll down and check those out. And there are slow mads increasingly. And slow mads, there isn't really a set amount of time. It can be three months, six months, nine months, one year, two years, but really just traveling a little bit slower. There are so many ways to be nomadic. There are Perhaps you want to travel for six months out of the year, and then you want to be in your home country for those other six months. You don't want to be on full-time. That's okay too. That's also being nomadic. There are so many ways to live this nomad lifestyle. So don't think just because you see me living out of a suitcase that that is something that you also have to do. Not the case at all. Figure out what works best for you. And what I would recommend is to perhaps do the suitcase life for six months, travel, go to different countries, go somewhere like South America or Eastern Europe where it's very easy or Southeast Asia to travel to many countries in and get to different destinations on a very short plane ride. See how you like that and you will figure out real quick what you like and what you don't like and then what type of nomad you want to be. So that's kind of my recommendation. If you sell everything and realize I actually miss my stuff and I hate living out of a suitcase and I want a home base and I want a routine. Well, you can buy it all back, but it's going to be a little bit of a costly mistake. So I would really recommend to do a shorter trip, figure out what you enjoy, what you like, and come back home, regroup, and then go from there based on what you have discovered about yourself through that journey. So some of the negatives of nomad life because we see all of the positives of course on social media I don't need to sell you on the positives we know what all of those look like but the negatives are a little bit more difficult to really be seen so I'm going to share some of those I don't want it to sound like I am hating nomad life because I love nomad life but there are negatives that aren't so talked about. So we're going to talk about some of the negatives that I have experienced. Other nomads have experienced other negatives, and I'm sure that you will as well. But throughout my journey, I can only speak to my journey. This is what I have experienced. And there's not many, I will say, of the negatives of being nomadic. So the first one, and I think we all know this in theory, but I don't think a lot of people who are not nomadic really realize how much we are on our laptops working. I would say 60 to 75% of the time, probably most nomads, myself included, are on your computer online. So if you're working for a remote company, of course, 
you're most likely going to have to be online for a certain set amount of hours, whether it be six hours, eight hours, whatever during the day. And that's going to eat up a lot of your time. But if you are building a business like myself or working with clients, you also are online a lot of the time. So I think that that is important to note because it's so glamorized on social media, which is amazing, but we are online a lot of the time and being online does not mean working from a beach. We, I think all nomads have tried that at some point. It will ruin your computer. You will get sand in the keyboard and you won't be able to see the screen because of the glare. It's just, it's not a fun time and I just want to work at a desk. So right now I'm in my apartment, for example, and I have some time to create some content and do some recording. All day I've been online. I actually don't plan on stepping outside today, which does happen sometimes. Sometimes I'll work from a cafe. We don't usually do co-working, but I know that that is a pretty viable option for most nomads. Um, If you want to meet other nomads in that kind of way, then that's a great option. But being online is a serious reality. Of course, you get to experience amazing experiences and do amazing things that you would never get to if you lived in just one country. But there is a lot of work that goes into it behind the scenes. And a lot of nomads that I know are very motivated. And yes, we can travel anywhere. And that's why over the years, my partner and I like to travel a little bit slower because we are online so much that if we're only in one place for two weeks, three weeks, well, we're going to be online probably most of those days. And weekends, you know, for me, I say every day is a weekday and every day is a weekend. I do not care what day of the week it is. Maybe I'll take off a Tuesday to get a facial and maybe I will be super stressed working all day Saturday or Sunday. There is really no set time frame for me. And that's just kind of how I operate to grow my business. It does not look that way for everybody, but I don't want to take two weeks off of building my business or two days, not two weeks. I don't want to take two days off of building something that is important to me that I absolutely love. And that's just me. So that is one of the things I will say about nomad life. Um, But do expect to be online quite a bit. If you, especially if you're starting out, if you are building a business from essentially nothing, which congrats, that's so amazing. I'm so excited for you, but you'll be online a lot. And then as that grows, you'll probably be online even more because there is more needed from you. Um, All right. So next, stressful travel days. Yes, travel days can be stressful. So this is also why slow travel is great. We like to now spend about a month in one place because that means once a month we're having a travel day. Travel days, basically, I consider sometimes I'll get work done, which is a bonus, but I consider I'm not doing any work on that day travel day, you either wake up early or you have to wake up and pack and shower, get ready go to the airport, get on the plane or get on the bus, which is even worse. Um, Really just intense travel days. And you are essentially losing an entire day from your work, whether it be from building your business, from working. If you work online, you might have to do it on a weekend, you know, whatever that looks like, you're essentially losing an entire day. So what I do to mitigate this I try to learn. Yes, I can't be online physically doing things that day, but I love listening to podcasts and also ebooks. Audible and podcasts are probably on planes in any form of transportation 
the most used apps on my phone. I'm not watching Netflix. I am not doing any of those things. I am almost always listening to a podcast or listening to an ebook. It's funny on the planes, I actually have to actually have to put music on. Otherwise, I just won't sleep because I'll be so engrossed in the podcast and music. I know I don't have to pay attention so I can just finally fall asleep. Um, That's kind of how I figured out how I personally work. But travel days, I try to make them learning days. I have a section in my notes where it's like learning and then I put everything I've learned from that day so that when I get online, I can look it up. I can research more about it. I can go to their website, whatever it may be that I have jotted. Otherwise, I'll just completely forget it because usually travel days are many, many hours. All right, what do we have next? Yes, this one is a constant struggle. Small things in apartments that you miss and you don't know you miss them until you don't have them. So prime example for me is a blender. All I want in my life is a morning smoothie every morning. Some Airbnbs and places we stay will have a blender, but most don't. I would say they almost always have a coffee machine or a toaster more often than there is a blender. Probably 15% of the time there's a blender. It's very small. So that means no smoothies for me. And, you know, we're in a new city, so I don't usually know where to get a smoothie from. So I just go without. And so whenever I get back to an Amazon country, I would love to order a portable blender, which is great, but that will take up some room in my suitcase. So that means I'll probably have to get rid of some of my clothes, but that is a priority to me. So anything that you really love, or if it's hand-pressed coffee or whatever it may be, make sure that you can bring it with you if you really can't live without it. Most places, if you book with a kitchen, it'll have a stove maybe a microwave, but not always. Sometimes we have places that have a stove and don't even have a pan. It's crazy. I don't know what these hosts are thinking. Usually we'll just message them and they can help us out, but I don't want to buy a pan for your Airbnb. I'm not going to bring that pan in my suitcase with me. So that can be a little stressful. Another example of this is I wanted a specific shower head, the VitaClean, I was like, this looks so cool. I'm so sold on this product, like vitamin C shower. Heck yeah. And you literally have to carry a shower head around in your suitcase and attach this shower head to every single place that you stay. So still up in the air about if I'm going to get the VitaClean or not, because I don't have a house. And it's not like I travel so infrequently that I can just bring it with me twice a year to a hotel. Like, My life is living out of hotels and other people's homes and Airbnbs. So not always a great option when I want those small luxuries that you have when you have a home. All right. So the last one I have here is bad internet. This one goes without saying. And I had somebody recently say, you know, is bad internet really a big problem? Because usually if you're booking, especially on Airbnb, you can read the reviews Yes, you totally can read the reviews. However, I take the reviews with the biggest chunk of salt possible. I've stayed in some places where the reviews are great. So we book it and the place ain't so great. I don't know if the review is old or, you know, everyone has different standards of what great is at the same time. Or maybe they've changed internet service providers or something that is a little bit different from 
when you're staying versus when the person who left that review stayed. So I do always read the reviews, of course. Sometimes Airbnbs are new and they'll have a discount and they won't have any reviews. So then you're kind of taking a chance. But for the most part, internet has been good. There are times when we have to be in contact with the host and I recommend doing it over Airbnb. They'll basically always give you their WhatsApp, but it needs to all be recorded in the Airbnb platform and speaking over their platform so that the Airbnb team can see it if you do really need to get out of that place and get a refund. So definitely check the reviews. Don't expect the reviews to kind of say it all. I'll, I guess I'll kind of put it that way. And ask the host anything you want to ask them before booking, whether it's the internet speed to send you a screenshot or do you have this in your kitchen or whatever it is that you really need? What size bed as well could be a good one. Sometimes the photos, you can't really tell the size of the bed. And we stayed at one really great place in Medellin, but the bed was so small for two people. So kind of having those small details and knowing beforehand and then having that recorded in the app as well is very beneficial if something goes south, then the Airbnb team can see all the messages in the app and see kind of what you expected. And then you can send them photos and show them what the reality is. We stayed in another place that had literally drops, drops coming out of the shower. Like I have a lot of hair. I, I couldn't even wash my hands in the shower. I don't know how I was going to wash my hair. So I actually had to use the host's shower one time which was much better than our shower. And it's so frustrating because like the hosts know that these are problems and they just don't fix them. And then there was ants and, and this place, like some of the reviews were not great, but some of the reviews were great. So that's why we booked it. And it was not a great place. We had to go to disputes at Airbnb and this whole thing. And then you're like awkwardly leaving because this was not just a private or like a private apartment. This was kind of an apartment in the back of their house, which we also didn't know. Um, so then we kind of have to like the walk of shame, very awkward. Um, but we got another place and we were much, much happier at that other place than being in just not an ideal situation. And the photos looked great. So sometimes it can be a little bit difficult to judge. Give yourself that grace. Ask any questions. Ask them to send more photos if you want, because sometimes the Airbnb ones can be touched up as well. So there's a lot more that can go into this, but this has been a pretty long episode. If you have any other questions, feel free to message me on Instagram at nomadneeks, and I will be happy to make another episode with all of your questions. But these are some of the questions I get. And really at the end of the day, I encourage you to start your own nomad journey. You will learn as you go. I did not know any of this, whether it comes to being a nomad or entrepreneurship before I started this journey. You learn along the way. You learn quick. So I wish you all the best in whatever the future holds for you and your future or your current nomad journey. You just listened to the work, wealth, and travel podcast. If anything in this episode resonated with you, I would love if you would take a screenshot and share this episode on your socials and be sure to tag me Nomadniques. Thank you so much for joining me here on the Work, Wealth, and Travel podcast. I'm your host, Nicole, and I will see you in next week's episode.